with the crystal tower sealed and the impending invasion of darkness stayed, the more worldly affairs of Eorzea begin to come back into focus. Notably, the crystal braves have begun to notice the tendrils of ivy wreathed around the powers that be, and the stench of conspiracy lingers heavily through the streets of Ulda. But while the City of the Sands is choking under its own internal pressures, so too are the cold reaches of Coerthus as the heretics begin pressing ever harder into a harried and haggard Ishgard. Their dreams of ice may yet chill the land to the bone, and only the Scions are capable of standing in the way of the most unique primal they've faced yet. I'm Nero. And I'm Jane. And this is Radio Free Heidelin. Yes, welcome back. So once again, we are back in the saddle, the MSQ here, and uh, we're we're right back in it with 2.4 Dreams of Ice. How come everything happens in this patch? Yeah, right? Literally, like, how, how many pages of notes do I even have here? You have four, which is a lot for you. I have like, like nine, ten, I don't know, a lot. That sounds about right. So this one is, uh, you know, most of these patches, these post-ARR patches, have been shortened in recent years um, by, by several quests. This one only got one quest knocked off of it, so it's, it's quite a lengthy patch. And there's a lot of interconnecting stuff going on here. But the main sort of story thrust of this one is kind of about uncovering a spy. Yes, before we get into that, uh, why don't you hit us with a brief summary of like what actually gets added here? What's what's the deal with Dreams of Ice? Patch 2.4 Dreams of Ice didn't add a whole bunch of stuff uh, in comparison to some other patches. It did add an entire new job. Rogue and Ninja were added in 2.4. Um, uh, a smattering of new dungeons and trials, such as, you know, you got, you got your story ones like Snowcloak and Akafi Amphitheater, but you've also got Sestasha Hard, Sunken Temple Hard, the final coil of Bahamut, and you can finally get married now as of 2.4. The ceremony of eternal bonding is now available. You too can pay, uh, some amount of money to do the TF2 something special for someone special, but instead of doing a really dumb joke, you can actually have like a fun little wedding ceremony. I knew a couple who were unable to get married over the pandemic because one of them lived in California and one of them lived in Canada, and they couldn't really travel to see each other, so they used uh, Final Fantasy as a... uh, you know vector for that wedding that's adorable they got married in real life of course but you know the reception was in final fantasy um in addition to the new content this is also the first patch where they added the um penalty for dropping in duty finder three times in a row where if you do it three times in a row you are now locked out of duty finder for the rest of the day yeah well i I can imagine that being a bit of a problem um to, to, to not have that so probably a good thing they added it though it does get a little annoying if it's you know if you just have a bad connection yes so where do we even want to start with this one as i said it's sort of all interconnected there's several plot threads running at the same time uh several factions sort of intertwined together knowingly and unknowingly yeah, this this one is th- this this patch does have like an A plot and a B plot. Like your A plot is 
trying to I guess it's kind of got a C plot also. Like your your A plot is you're trying to figure out what's the deal with this this secret Garlean spy. Your B plot is all the nonsense going on in Quirithus with Lady Iceheart. And then your C plot is like, oh, by the way, also, we're still trying to figure out how to kill Asians. Um, and they're all kind of linked. So I, I feel like we can just we can kind of just hit those in order uh, at a certain point. So why don't we just why don't we talk about the mysterious Ivy? So we, we the, the the way this patch starts is Minfilia basically telling you that like well all the primal stuff most of the things pretty quiet right now um so I guess you should like see if Alphano needs any help with the Crystal Braves because apparently she she states that Alphano has been um rejecting any offers for help with like the administration but she figures that if you offer your help he will he will accept. Yeah, the thing you'll notice throughout the entirety of this patch, particularly in this patch is where it starts. Alphano, he's when he started the Crystal Braves, you'll remember he was very like reticent to like take like immediate treasures. Like, oh, you know, like I'm just sort of the commander in name only. Yeah. You know, it's mostly other people who are taking care of it. I'm just kind of the founder and like helping out or whatever. And it has all gone to his head, like, on such a colossal basis. This boy is so unbelievably condescending to everybody. He is so, like, up his own ass about being the head of his own little army. Like, it did not take long at all. He has, as she, as she says, he does indeed uh, let you in on what, what the Braves are currently war- working on. Apparently, as soon as they formed, they were already, like, getting requests for a bunch of shit. So, like, they're, they're pretty busy. But uh, this, this matter is particularly important. He directs you to Ilbert, the, uh, the, the commander, the captain of the third division, which is the division of the Crystal Braves. That sort of hail from Ulda, if I remember correctly. Um, and he's he's got there's there's some shady shit going on in the Immortal Flames. He tells you that there is a Garlean spy embedded deep within the Immortal Flames, and 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 also and in in, in addition to that, not not just like a run of the mill soldier. Ilbert has put together that this spy is somehow like within the inner circle of the Flames Central Command. Yes, this is this is this is a pretty deep revelation here. Like uh, this, this, this Ivy, as uh, as they sort of have have made themselves known to be, is very careful, right? Like there's a reason why they haven't been noticed so far in all these years, and that's because they mostly work through other people. Um, they 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 have a deep embedded network inside of the flames and it appears that a lot of the people don't even know that they're feeding information to Garlemald. So this is pretty bad uh, for for the Alliance. And I do want to note one thing that's extremely funny here. Uh, the, the best part about you talking to Ilbert here is when he's like, I have something extremely secretive and important to tell you We did uh, that we don't want anybody to be eavesdropping on. And he just kind of looks to the right and the left and then just starts loudly telling you this in a room full of like 30 people. <laughs> You need to work on your OPSEC, Ilbert. It's not very good. Speaking of, it's time for the first in a conga line of voice actor notes, because boy howdy, there are a lot of characters introduced in this patch who have voices, and Ilbert is the first of them. Yes. Now, um, 
luckily, his dub voice will require me to do almost no work because it's Richard Epcar. We've heard him before. He he also voices Gaius, and you know, I already talked about his various roles. Yep, and he's pretty good. He's 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 not he is not too bad. Look, think about Richard Epcar, he will always turn in a perfectly fine performance, even if I don't think he's always the best for some roles. I I think I generally think he's pretty good. Now, there's some weird shit going on with his Japanese voice actor. So, his Japanese voice actor is named Hiroshi Shirakuma. Um, and I looked, and most of his, like, uh, Japanese production roles, just various animes that I'd never really heard of, he has, like, sort of bit parts in a lot of big animes, like Bleach and various Gundams, like, but no, no characters that really stood out to me as, like, oh, this is a big role. Now, he also works in a lot of dubbing for different things. He is the dub voice for Caesar in Fallout New Vegas. Really? That's right. He is also Big Mac in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Oh my god. And Kanan in Star Wars Rebels. He is the dub voice for all three of those characters. Um, in addition, he will be voicing the, the Sid in the upcoming Final Fantasy sixteen. So that's a pretty big role. Presumably, Sid will be a major character, so, you know, hey, it's pretty good. Uh, and one other note that I thought was pretty funny. So, he he has a voice in that terrible um, Rescue Rangers movie that came out last year. Uh-huh. And specifically, the character he voices is Jimmy the Polar Bear. And if you'll remember, this dude's name is Hiroshi Shirakuma. Oh, my God. So, they cast him as a white bear. That's so fucking funny. Pretty good. Talk about talk about typecasting, am I right? <laughs> So we uh, we head over to Old where we get a lot of backstory about Ilbert and uh, Raban because these guys are bros. These guys are old friends. They are. So you you head over there because Ilbert needs to sort of appraise Raban of the situation. This is done under the guise of sort of just like a social meeting, sort of a meetup between two old bros, and it kind of is at least a little bit and you know it it turns out uh both of them have sort of been put through the ringer right like they're both um refugees from the fall of alamigo um ilbert sort of went off and did his own thing he was an adventure for a while uh, apparently he is known as ilbert of the dull blade because he's working so much his blade's getting dull i presume presumably um wouldn't want to be cut by it i imagine it's very painful and meanwhile, Rauban, apparently, uh, the second he showed up to Ulda, he was clasped in irons and thrown to the blood sands and had to uh, basically win a hundred gladiator matches uh, in order to buy his own freedom. And then when he did that, he got so rich and so famous, he just straight bought the whole Coliseum and a seat on the syndicate and then made the immortal flames. So... A real rags to riches style story. I want I want to skip ahead shortly to talk more about the founding of the Immortal Flames because it's pretty interesting. Yeah. In comparison to the other two grand companies, now later Ilbert talks about how Gridania and Limsa already basically had standing armies that could just sort of be combined together and put under the banner of one organization. But Old Da had no such organization, right? They they have, like, the Brass Blades, who are basically just cops. 
And then they had a bunch of, just a fuck ton of mercenaries. So when Raban became part of the syndicate, he he looked at this and he looked at the, you know, fucking doomsday cultist going to invade Eorzea at the time, Nael Van Darnus, and said, we probably need an army to stop that situation. And so he asked the monetarists for a financial investment in the Immortal Flames. But as a result, the flames are basically in this kind of limbo of accountability, right? Because while Raban is their commander... The fact of the matter remains that the monetarists and the syndicate kind of have the final say on a lot of things involving them. And in particular, they had complete control over who joined like the, the, the sort of higher ranks when they first started. Which which Ilbert will point out a, a strange thing about that later. But like the Immortal Flames are relatively new and because of the way it was formed, it is pretty much the only grand company that could have been infiltrated at, at this stage because it was it, it had to be created from the ground up. Exactly, exactly. It was uniquely vulnerable to this sort of a, uh, a, a sort of deep attack because like when it comes down to it, the uh, the syndicate really didn't want this to happen. Like the only reason that the flames exist at all is because, you know, the... The, the, the rich cats were like, oh shit, well, if we all die, we can't be rich anymore, so I guess we have to make an army. So they had to uh, they had to sort of fix that problem, but uh, if it were up to them, they would have never bothered. So they, they despite the pressing need and everything else, uh, Raubon really was butting heads the entire time while trying to form this thing. So it was a sort of, you know, get anybody who will say yes situation uh at first so it's uh fairly easy to 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 slip in uh unseen in a situation like that i feel i i, I quite like this scene actually the the Raubon and ilbert scene because like they, they're basically using this big reunion between old friends as a cover for their actual conversation and they are actually you know meeting again for the first time in a while but also this is you know you gotta root out a spy right so it's pretty good cover um, and they assume that no one, you know, the, the spy would not be able to, like, get access to the information they're sharing. They assume. They assume. But uh, as they find out later, of course, the Ivy is indeed one of the high-ranking officials. So uh, despite Raubon trying to keep a very tight lid on this, um, all this information is getting out fairly quickly but we don't really get too much more on that until a little bit later yeah i mean if we want to just follow the the ivy plot line there's i'm going to scoop over a lot of the 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 sort of uh, movements of action in this plot because there, there's a there's a bit where you rescue a crystal brave who's been captured by the garleans because of like an ambush facilitated by the ivy there's lots of stuff like that but like Ultimately, there's not a lot to talk about there. You just punch some Imperials. And, you know, that's good. I like doing that, but, you know. Yeah, but it's 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 important to note, it's important to note that the the ways in which these plot lines cross over um, is because the Ishgardian heretics and the Ivy's 
sort of spies are kind of sharing info. They seem to be working together in certain ways. Like, while you're trying to get certain things settled, uh, caravans are getting attacked and other things are happening with information that neither party should really have. And it's really throwing a massive wrench into basically everything. It's it's scattering the Crystal Braves to the five winds. Uh, it's stretching the resources of even the Scions. And it's basically making uh, both uh, Ulta and Ishgard run around like chickens with their head cut off. And this is great if you want to destabilize two countries, but really bad for, you know, us. Yeah, so as, as the Heretic plotline continues, Ilbert can, is... is like still investigating the ivy and after a certain amount of time he begins to narrow down his uh list of suspects and he he narrows it down to one at a certain point when everyone is in gradania because and there's no really other place to talk about this cutscene in the other plotline so we should talk about it now because at a certain point everyone is called for a meeting in gradania because there's been some news Yes, an emergency meeting of all the presidents takes place at the Acorn President's special little hideout because the Garlean Civil War is officially over. Now, that doesn't mean that the country is stable, and it's not, but what it does mean is that an official emperor has taken the crown and the throne, and that emperor is Varys Zos Galvis, the grandson of of Solus, who was the previous emperor. And what's important to note about that is that much like, you know, most sort of civil internal war conflict style situations, Varys had a weaker claim to the throne than his uncle, but Varys was in charge of the whole army. So, you know, it doesn't take a lot of a lot of math to put two and two together there on who's going to come out on top in that conflict. Yeah, they, um, Varys pretty quickly dealt with all of his opponents, and, um, you know, they, they talk a bit about Varys as sort of a political actor, because it's important to note that uh, Varys, alongside Gaius, really resisted the Meteor Project, because he didn't want to reduce Eorzea to, like, a fucking pile of ash, he wanted to conquer it and rule it, right? Like, he didn't, he didn't want to fucking nuke it. Exactly. And as it turns out, he was involved in a lot of self-sabotage with the Meteor Project. So the important thing is that the new emperor is even more, like, set on Eorzean annexation than the previous one was. Yes, and he's very conniving and willing to do a lot of extremely underhanded subterfuge and betraying his own country in order to meet his ends. The way he is introduced, the cutscene in which he is introduced, he is standing over the coffin of presumably his uncle whom he killed to take the throne. Uh, it's either his uncle or his grandfather, Solus, the former emperor. No, it's, it's, it's Solus's it's Solus's casket. It's Solus's casket. Because he spits on it before he goes to uh, put his crown on. He spits on the casket. So, obviously no love lost between those two. No, none at all. But as a result of this... um. Ilbert has pretty much locked in the identity of the Ivy because there's one person here who really shouldn't be here, and that is the Flame Marshal. Oh God, I fucking hate her name so much. Elaine Royal. 
I'm just gonna call her Royale. This is Royale with cheese over here. Yeah, the most French motherfucker Brabant could find is, uh, Ilbert is, like, fucking 99% sure that she's the traitor. Because as the flame marshal, she should be in Ulda while Raubon is here in Gridania. Because, like, you're not supposed to leave the headquarters uncommanded. But the fact that she's here means that she used some kind of excuse to, to, to come with him. So he's like, alright, we need to shadow her and, and catch her red-handed. Because, like, otherwise... Her, she is too good at covering her tracks. There's basically no way we're going to be able to um, catch her unless we literally physically catch her doing treason. Pretty much. Um, and uh, in fact, physically catching her at all is sometimes kind of an issue here. Um, she she manages to kind of slip past uh, you and Ilbert and the rest of the Braves uh, give you the slip, but, um, luckily, uh, who's helping you but, uh, Yugiri and her ninja friends, so a humble Viagra peddler comes up to you, uh, while you're just chilling with, uh, with Ilbert out in front of, uh, the, the Gridanian Inn, and, uh, turns out not just a, a humble Viagra peddler, but in fact a shinobi in disguise who, uh, tells you that, uh, Elaine had, uh, slipped off to go get a boat to the the east shroud and that's not like i need to be i need to be clear i need to be very clear i'm not i'm not making like a joke i'm not making a funny the cover for this guy literally is that he walks up to ilbert and is like hey you want to buy some fucking potions that make your dick huge and ilbert responds perhaps another time friend yeah maybe maybe later maybe later but yeah the shinobi are working alongside you yugiri shows up again and you do, in fact, manage to catch Royale, like, with her in Imperial Contact. She she kind of tries to play it off at first, but at a certain point, when she's literally surrounded by ninjas, she can't really keep up the act anymore, and she peacefully surrenders. Yeah, she is, she is more than willing to give herself up right now and go into, into custody. And she goes perhaps almost a little too easily, even for somebody who is functionally defenseless and surrounded by people who are going to try and kill her. You would think she would at least try and slip away at some point. She's pretty good at that. So it's a little confusing until you realize, oh, wait, this is the woman who spent the last like eight years building and refining a spy network inside of the Immortal Flames and can probably get out of prison really easily. Um, and she does that. <laughs> so you gotta track her down before she gets behind enemy lines, and that means into into behind the walls of Castra Meridianum. Um, there's a big old solo duty involving just a truly insane amount of Imperials that you just blow up. Not 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 necessarily a hard solo duty, but I will say this: if your personal goal is don't let any of your friends die while you're trying to do the solo duty. Um, it's actually pretty difficult, uh, to, to make sure that nobody gets murked, uh, if you're not playing a healer class. Like, there's, there's quite a few Garleans that show up here. Yes. Um, and so, uh, after you catch her, you, you, you tie her up. Ilbert, El- Ilbert specifies tightly, please. Please tie her very tightly this time. Yeah. Um... This and they, they kind of talk. There's there's this whole thing where because it's revealed over the course of this that Royale is Ishigardian, but not of you know noble birth. 
um she was she was an Ishgardian like commoner basically uh which Ilbert found strange because you know as i mentioned before the monetarists had complete say over who joined the immortal flames and as we also know they fucking hate foreigners yeah like a lot but specifically they hate Ishgardians a lot because of Ishgard pulling out of the Eorzean alliance early uh, after after the Battle of Silvertier. Yeah, they they weren't even at Cardinal. Yeah, Uldas specifically, like no no one really likes them because of that. But Uldas specifically really holds a grudge, seemingly. So Ilbert found it very odd that. Uh, an Ishgardian woman would be appointed at such a high rank despite all of this and he he's he 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 thinks that like maybe she had some blackmail on them or whatever but the the important thing is that she is kind of railing against I really like the scene where she fucking rails against Alphano where you know Alphano's he, he comes up to gloat it's like ah we caught you and she basically just shells and tells the little rich boy to shut the fuck up yeah, like you you don't fucking know what it is to suffer or struggle. Like you've been you've been a little rich boy your whole life. Meanwhile, she's had to fucking do every shady, seedy, undignified thing a human being can do to try and make ends meet her whole life. And this is just like this is the fucking real world kid, like, you know, shit's dark out here and sometimes when you know when the wealthy ruling class chews you up and spits you out in every fucking city you go to in every part of the whole world you gotta pick whichever ruling class is gonna at least give you a leg up and you know ilbert ilbert has some stuff to say to this ilbert is like listen i came from dirt too and so did Braubon. and you know what we pulled ourselves up by those bootstraps ma'am yeah he 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 says, perhaps you should have simply pulled yourself up by your bootstraps instead of becoming an Imperial spy. Thank you, Ilbert. Very helpful. Yeah, very helpful. He also uh, notably makes a very, very concise point. Like, this this man belabors the point about how you would he would never betray his own men. It would be unthinkable, unconscionable to him to ever betray anyone. He would rather cut off his own arm than betray his friends. I know. When you know what what a good guy. What a great guy. You know, Alphano has a has even has a comment where he's like, what did he what did he say specifically? He said, oh fuck, I, I wrote this down. Where is it? He's he's like, wow, you know, I I can't believe that that like this this happened. I can't believe that that right, you know, there there was this this betrayal in the in the very heart of the Immortal Flames. Hopefully, we picked our friends better than Rao Bond did, and uh, you know, hopefully that's true. Uh, I and to talk a little bit about the actual like, I this this plot line, funnily enough, is the one that basically matters the least in this patch. Um. This Ivy thing is basically self-contained and uh, won't really come up again later, but everything else in this patch comes up in a big way later. So the thing about this, right, I um, I think it's fine, but the pro like, there's a really weird thing later where you go back to talk to him in Philia and she's like really bummed out about Royale because apparently she liked her. It's like, I didn't know who this character was before this quest. 
Yeah, I, I, I have to wonder if maybe in like 1.0 she was a character who was involved in some way. Uh, maybe, but like the th- but she is like a type of guy for the grand companies. Every every um grand company has a guy who stands behind the president. Now, we've already one of them is actually a character. Einzar from the Maelstrom is an actual character. Yeah, Einzar is cool. We like Einzar. Because uh, he and Merorber are hitting it raw. Um, <laughs> now, Kane Sena has a guy with a stick. And I don't know that man's name, but he's always there. There is that man with a stick. Watch out. But he's just kind of, he's just kind of there. I guess she has like a sort of contingent, a small contingent of guards. But like, he isn't a character and neither was the flame marshal before this. She was just kind of there in some scenes where Rabban also was. So, you know, obviously they can't have, like, a big... I don't think it's a problem that the spy isn't a a character we really knew about before. I just think it's very funny to have Minfilia be emotionally impacted by it. Like, what what are you talking about? It is a really weird choice. Like, why Minfilia, of all people? Like, that's that's really weird to me. Like, I feel like... Like, Raoban has a... Uh, has a moment where he feels really betrayed. There's a speech that Raubon gives after you recapture um, Royale over here, and you know you're talking with Ilbert and and Raubon and stuff in the middle of the uh, the, the chamber rule, and he's Ilbert's talking about how like yeah you know from what we understand at this point she was basically like a quadruple agent you know she was working for literally everybody and sharing secrets with everybody else like the reason that operation archon was able to go off without a hitch in a lot of ways was because varus wanted to undermine gaius and used the ivy's network to to influence that yeah i want to talk about the insane like web they un they unwound unwind at the end of this of this patch because like it's it's alphano ilbert and raban in the uh in the syndicate chamber talking about this and and yeah they like ilbert lays out you know what like number one her loyalty was seemingly to varus because when the Ultima Weapon started doing its thing, Varys understandably was worried that it would be, you know, another Project Meteor. And so he had her undermine Gaius, who she was also working directly for. And also she was working for the Heretics. And there's a very funny line where Raban's like, are you telling me she was a double agent? And Ilber just goes, triple agent, if you count uh, Varys and Gaius separately. Yeah, which is fucking hilarious. She was all over the fucking place. All over the place. She's all over the all over the place. Everybody had her had their fucking hands in this woman's like fucking uh, pockets. Like like the the vines the vines were truly everywhere. And it's 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 kind of it's kind of hilarious actually. Like the, like these these like quadruple level machinations going on. Like the monetarists think they're on top and all this stuff. It's it's very very funny. Though Alphano does point out at a certain point like eh, not all of this makes. 100% sense because like even if we're talking about like oh the monetarists and Varys and Gaius were all playing her against each other that doesn't explain why like they give any amount of a shit about the Ishgardians why is that relevant I think there's a fourth person here um which nobody has any anything to say about which is interesting like like Ilber doesn't comment on that he just sort of changes the subject uh, I'm sure that's not uh relevant but the thing is, like, like Raubon, he's very affected by this, right? Like, 
Elaine here was his friend, uh, a very close friend, but more importantly, she was like a rock, a confidant, somebody who he could rely on and and trust to be able to run things and and you know put his faith into and he feels unbelievably betrayed and and foolish and stupid and angry because uh all these years he's been playing to somebody else's fiddle without even knowing it and he's mad at her and he's mad at Garlemald but there's one group of people that he's more mad at than anybody. He's fucking pissed at these Madras. And he fucking screams to the heavens. He's like, listen, I know you can fucking hear me right now. And I swear to God, if there's one thing I do before I die, it is taking all of you with me. You are all going to hell. I fucking love Raban. He's a real one. I love Raban a lot. The dude rules. He's great. I I wonder if we should talk about the the kind of other stuff at the end here with Nanamo or if we should talk about Ishgard because Ishgard is the main bulk of this patch. The ivy curls throughout all of it, but Ishgard is the main is the main thing going on. Yeah, Ishgard's the main thing going on. Um but because it's such a a core ten- like part of this this patch, I feel like we can save that for just a second and and wrap up the old uh, plot line here. And it wraps up in a very specific way. So there's two other really important events to note. The first thing is Telegi Adelegi gets a scene where he's talking on the shell phone here and he's talking to somebody we we don't know we we have no idea who it is that he's talking to but we do know one thing and it's that it involves his big stupid conspiracy it's a it's this the whole fucking thing about trying to get omega and and swindle cartno out from all three of the city states using this weird refugee building pl- i don't know he i fucking hate Look, I, I, while you're firing this, let me let me just say, I think Telegi Adelegi is a lame motherfucker. I think that his his whole deal is just sort of whack, and the he will he will continue to be a big a big force in these next few patches. And it's just like I hate his mustache. His plan is stupid, and he's just not very interesting. It is funny how much everyone hates him though. It is very funny. I fucking hate his ass too. Okay, so so his deal here, we, we don't get revealed all that much information in his conversation. But we do know two things. One, he is trying to plot against the Sultana specifically. He wants to do something to her and presumably relinquish her of her power. Maybe he's going to assassinate her. Maybe he's not. Who knows? It's all sort of innuendo. Um, the second thing we know is that he really, he's very concerned specifically about Rauban and Lalarito because both of them are apparently unpredictable and able to throw a wrench into his plan so he has Rauban placed under basically constant surveillance by the brass blades and then he has his own network of guys um presumably refugees that he's paying a lot of money to to go cut off one of Lollarito's important trade routes to keep him busy cleaning up that mess so his his conspiracy is is going off uh without a hitch presumably um the second important thing and this is way more important it's girls night it's girls night so 
Nanamo is having a slumber party, kind of. She's having a little tea social. There's little cakes and little teas and various things laid out in her little bedroom table here. And she's got the other girl presidents uh, with her. Uh, the, just just to shortly say something, the thing I love about this cutscene is that it is not immediately apparent that anyone else is sitting at the table. We start off, we see Nanamo dismissing her handmaiden, right? And she, you know, it's got it's a little tea party with cakes and stuff. It looks it looks wonderful. And then we get a new camera angle and we see Kane Senna sitting there. And then they, they talk a while. And then we get another camera angle and we see Merlewim also sitting at the table. It's hilarious, yeah. Um, and the thing is, Nanamo is deeply fucking depressed about the state of her country. Things are pretty dire. She like like she she feels like she can't even like it's not going to be long until she can't even have privacy in her own bedroom. And the reality of the situation is this. The construction of Old Da, the way that this country is set up is fundamentally flawed. The foundations are not capable of supporting a society that is healthy or equitable in any way. Um, and that's not just the fault of the monetarist. That's not just the fault of the syndicate. Nanamo correctly identifies the fact that even if the syndicate were to be completely abolished, that's not really a, a feasible long-term solution to making sure that old dies actually a good society to live in. Now, the only way to actually do that is to remove the hierarchical power structures that exist currently. The syndicate is bad, but the sultanate is also bad. You shouldn't really have a monarch, nor should you have a cabal of, like, oligarchs who decide everything based on the flip of a coin. Like, both are bad, both are broken, and both need to go away. And Nanamo has made the decision that she is going to use her power as the Sultana, and she's going to use the crises that that be as an excuse to relinquish both groups of their power. She wants to be the very last Sultan in the line of all. And, you know, the others are like, are you really sure about this? This is like... This is a really big decision, trying to to completely reconfigure your country into a republic, and she's pretty sure about it. She's like, yeah, this is the path forward. Like, Ulda can only serve the people if it belongs to the people. And, you know, she makes this decision. She says right there, like, yeah, that's what's happening. And the reason that she's talking to the other two presidents at all is because she really wants their help. Like, the city is going to be thrown into chaos to a certain point and they're going to need a little bit of outside assistance to make sure that the transition of power goes smoothly and peaceably without like a bunch of power vacuum nonsense going on by like say oh i don't know some guy like teleji adeleji trying to pull some shit yeah and and you know the other the other two take this pretty seriously and i hope to see the repercussions of this in the future me too i would sure hate it if if there weren't any. Um, but that's that's basically the Ivy plot line here. The Ivy gets rooted out more or less, and there is definitely some some interesting politics afoot in the heart of Old Da. But most of the story is in Coerthus. It's time for some Moorish Guardian politics. So 
Alpha af- after at a certain point, Alpha No comes to you and says that he has been contacted by Lord Amaric de Borel, uh, Lord Commander of the Temple Knights in Ishgard, and he actually wants to start some diplomatic inroads because the thing about Ishgard and something that you know we picked up on in the ARR quests set in Coerthus is that they are extremely insular and distrustful of any outsiders. They they joined the Eorzean Alliance mostly out of, like, necessity once they saw the writing on the wall with regards to the, the Imperials. But when the Imperial fleet was destroyed at Silvertier Lake, they immediately, as I said, they immediately retreated back into their walls and completely shut out Eorzea, uh, ba- functionally abandoning them to Nail Vandarnas. And as far as they're concerned, they did their part and they got their best possible solution out of that problem like not only were the imperials routed their their big mega doom fleet and their super battleship the agrius completely destroyed but also the king of all dragons the father of the dravinian hordes midgard stormer also bit the dust so like i mean you know they were popping bottles over in the archbishopry they had a great day yeah speaking of we finally get full confirmation ishgard is a theocracy. They are ruled over by the Ishgardian Orthodox Church. We keep calling them Catholics, but I guess textually they're supposed to be Orthodox. They're super, like, they use the word Orthodox, but they're they're as Catholic as Catholic comes, let me tell you. Yeah, they're definitely more Catholic-inspired, because that's just kind of what a lot of Japanese media goes to for Christian influence. Um, I can, I can see a little bit of Eastern Orthodox in there with like the, the kind of architecture that we see later. Although there is also a lot of Catholic, uh, cathedral style stuff in Ishgard once we see it. But basically, um, Ishgard is, is entirely shut out and, um, Alphano wants to attempt to get them to rejoin because with with Varys's appointment, uh, there's probably going to be a lot of imperial aggression pretty soon, and he wants the Eorzean Alliance to be fully united to, pre- to present a a very strong front. And so you head back over to Camp Dragonhead to meet with uh the, with Lord Amaric here. Now, we like to call Amaric Elf 2.0. <laughs> he is a bit Elf 2.0 because here's here's a secret for everyone if you didn't know. There are two characters introduced in this patch who have unique faces that you cannot actually use on any actual player character. This is pretty common. But these two in particular have a very funny origin. Varys and Amric are both peeled Aura. Oh, right. I forgot about this. They are descaled Aura faces plastered onto other bodies. Which is why Amaric is the most beautiful elf in the whole entire world. Truly, truly, they they gave they gave him the the they gave him the surgery to make him beautiful. Um, here's the thing: the thing that's important to note about Amaric also is so Alphano has this bit. It's really really funny, by the way. Oh my god! This okay. So to set the scene a bit, you know, we're we're in we're in the talks. We're in this place called the Intercessory, which is kind of a a little side room attached to Camp Dragonhead. Um, and Alphano is very confident that he can reverse years of Ishgardian isolationism by presenting two things. Number one, the Empire exists and will probably come again soon. Number two, 
um, primals exist and will present a problem. That's it. Yes, this is infor- this is information that clearly has never been presented to the Ishgardians before. Never once been presented. Otherwise, obviously, they just rejoin. I don't know why why no one's told them this before. Yeah, like okay. The extremely funny bit is that Alphano complains so much prior to this meeting that he personally has tried for so many years to convince the Ishgardians to rejoin the Alliance and they refuse to. And he's like, why would they listen to me, the smartest boy in the world? I just don't get it. Are they stupid? And then you get this meeting. And this meeting was arranged by Ishgard, not by Alphano. And it was arranged by the head of the Temple Guard. This isn't just your run-of-the-mill, like, hand-wavy, like, lower dignitary that's been sent over. No, no, no. This is the head of, like, the religious military or whatever. So they apparently are willing to come to the table in a very legitimate way to listen to the things that Eorzea has to say. And Alphano is so excited. He's like, yes, finally. Ooh, they're finally going to listen to me. Ooh, I can't wait. I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them. I have all my smart boy points. I've got the, I got a PowerPoint presentation. I got all these notes. It's going to go great. And he lays out his case and he presents us all to Amrick. And Amrick looks at him and goes, yeah, I don't care. He, he rebuffs all of them. He's like, well, Ishgard's position means that a, an Imperial attack would actually be pretty hard. And the Archbishop doesn't really believe that an Imperial invasion of Eorzea would uh, present too much of a problem to us at the moment. As far as primals go, we're not having any problems with primals on our end, so... Yeah, the, the Ixil aren't attacking us, so like... Yeah, the Ixil, the Ixil hate those fucking tree elves, not the ice elves. We're good. We're chill. Yeah, we're chill. We're fine. And it, 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 often it is even like, will you at least ask the the holy seed of fucking march on Natalan and our Amerik's like no and Alphano just fucking stands here. he just stares at him and he goes bro what the fuck why are we even here and Amerik's like well I'm not actually here because of Ishgard I'm here because I have some other unrelated shit that I want to ask you personally to do and Alphano is just fucking groaning in his hands just like oh god so, to talk a bit about Amrick, it's time for more voice acting notes. Um, and this is interesting, because this is the first time that a an English voice actor will not be changed in the Heavensward uh, changeover. Amrick, as we've talked about before, between the end of ARR and the beginning of Heavensward, Square Enix relocated its localization offices from somewhere in the United States to the United Kingdom. And as a result, recast... Every character, pretty much, with, like, new new voices uh, local to that area. The one exception, because at this point, probably, presumably they knew what the, the move they were going to make. The one exception is Amrick, who is voiced in English by a fellow named Blake Ritson. And the interesting about him is that Amrick appears to kind of be his biggest role um, in terms of voice acting. Now, he does voice... A character named Alpha in Xenoblade Chronicles Three, and I don't know anything about Xenoblade, so maybe, maybe Alpha is a big character in that game, but I I just have no context for that. Um, a lot of the the new crop of voice actors for Final Fantasy fourteen worked on Xenoblade, by the way, because famously, though that game series is dub, 
is uh, a UK based, which is which is quite interesting. Um, but but Blake Ritson, he he's actually in, he he he's in a lot of like British dramas and stuff. He, he's in a lot of television because um, I noticed his his voice acting uh, page was a little bit light, so I moved over to IMDb and I saw that oh he's he's in a lot of stuff. Um, he played, I think, Edward the Third in some kind of like biopic about him. You know, he's he's a real deal actor, and I think I think Amerik's English voice is one of the better performances out of like the whole game. Yeah, I was gonna say, I I think I I really enjoy Amerik's English performance. Like, I I think that it hits on that very high register sort of noble adjacent note like i get the impression that he is sort of a more normal guy who has to put on airs in order to do his job you you get you get this feeling of a guy who speaks in a way that isn't really the register he would take if he had a different life if he if he hadn't been put in a position where he became the head of the temple guard and uh, and had to adopt this more like noble adjacent persona and uh and i think that's 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 cool i, I like how that really comes through in in the way that he um that he plays his character i think that that's one of the things that There's two things that I feel the English dub often misses out on, and it is performances that have a significant amount of emotional depth to them, and performances that speak to the internality of the character. And Amrick is a really staunch exception to that problem. I think that he's actually done really well. I will say... That will become much more common with the switchover, as the quality of voice acting and voice direction increases greatly from uh, the error stuff, which I'm sure we'll talk about with a with a character we're going to meet very soon. Um, Amrick's Japanese voice actor is Tatsuhisa Suzuki, who basically plays nothing but anime pretty boys. Yeah, I mean that tracks. I mean, what is what is Amrick if not an anime pretty boy? He is Bon in the Seven Deadly Sins. He is not. He is Noctis in Final Fantasy Fifteen. Uh, funnily enough, he is Prejudo from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part Five and Junpei from uh, the Nonary Games. And there's just I, 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 those are the ones that I recognize and I thought were notable enough to include. There are so many anime pretty boys that he's voiced over the years. So <laughs> many of them. Um, he's he's great. In, in the Japanese dub as well, it has a lot of that similar thing of like the the affect of of high class, high sort of cloaking a a, a more straightforward and idealistic heart. Um, because that's only what what's going on with Amerik is he is ultimately powerless to kind of change Ishgard's policies on this sort of thing. But that doesn't mean he's not going to work behind their back to like make things better um because the whole thing is that the holy see wants to they, they learned about house for tom's caravans to revenants toll and they would like that to stop yeah they, they they'd like to pass some resolutions to make sure that you know aid to foreign powers maybe we'll curtail that a little bit maybe we don't need to to, to be giving other people our stuff so Amerik is like listen here's what we'll do 
you scratch my back and I'll make sure that uh, the the shipments continue unabated. And uh, when asked exactly what his terms are, basically there's some rumblings that maybe Midgard Swarm might be about to be resurrected maybe just a little bit. So if you could just take some of your little blue army men and just kind of plop them around the lake and just make sure none of the Dravinians go over there and try to make sure that, you know, doesn't come to pass, that would be nice. So, of course, this talk is quickly interrupted by events happening because a knight runs in and reports that uh, the latest shipment of Revenant's Toll was very suddenly attacked by heretics led by Lady Iceheart herself. Now, it's worth noting that this once again ties into the Ivy because basically nobody knew where that caravan was going to be at that specific time except... For, you know, some, maybe some contacts in various grand companies and whatnot. So who who knows how that information got into the hands of the heretics? Who knows? Who knows? But it's very important to point out this very specific shipment. What was this shipment carrying? Oh, that's right. Uh, it's crystals. It's always crystals. So we, we begin to learn more about... Because one of the big questions we had... Uh, during the Coerthus part of of Realm Reborn proper was what what the fuck is actually going on with these heretics? Like they are opposed to the church, which frankly doesn't come off well at all, uh, here or back in those quests. On purpose, I, I think Ishgard is definitely meant to be a kind of regressive society. But um, here we learn a lot more about Iceheart and her sort of rebellion here, because the heretics are aligned with the Dravanian horde of dragons, and specifically they worship a, a saint, um, Saint Shiva, the, the, the patron saint of heretics, which if I, I, I guess Shiva is probably not a canonized saint in the Ishgardian Orthodox Church. Now, I was about to say I would simply not have a saint of heretics, but then I, I thought more and realized that they probably don't, and they just, the heretics canonized her in their religion and not Ishgard. Yeah, which makes sense. It would be pretty funny if they actually did have a saint of heretics, though. It would be very funny, and it's it's worth noting. And this is they they make sure they belabor this point. This comes up like five separate times. The reason that Shiva is the patron saint of heretics, the greatest she she committed the greatest possible sin you can ever commit to the entirety of elf Catholicism. What is the worst, Nero? What is the worst sin you can do in elf Catholicism? Yo, she fucked a dragon. Yeah, she did. She did fuck that dragon, and uh, the church is real mad about it. They do not like it when you fuck dragons around here. Okay, I, I cannot look. We've all seen the Tumblr post. We've all seen the Tumblr post about the, the JRPG writers, you know, saying church is bad. Church is bad because they won't let you fuck dragons. That is about this game. That is a, specifically about this game because. Yes, they say it like four times. Saint Shiva betrayed Ishgard by laying with dragons. Yeah. And they always say that. They always say laying with dragons. And I think later, it's Midphilia who goes, how does that even work? Yeah, like Midphilia literally is like, hey, wait, what? <laughs> Listen, with enough determination and lube, you can get anything done, all right? But as a result 
Um, so, so these heretics, we, we finally learn a lot more about what the fuck is going on in Ishgard. So there's this endless war, um, the, between Ishgard and Dravania and, um, the her- Ice, Iceheart is a, is a recent sort of figure that has, that has bolstered the heretics of, of Dravania here. And the, why she is bolstering him is that she believes, and she is telling everyone, that she can revive Saint Shiva. She can resurrect Saint Shiva to guide them towards an age of peace. Yes. Lady Iceheart here is of the belief that this endless war is the worst thing ever, and that because of that, it is her, not not just her her duty, but like her implicit, like, destiny to make sure that at any cost that war is stopped that that peace is achieved and it doesn't matter how many bodies you have to pile up to make sure that happens you you are gonna she's gonna get that peace one way or another and to that end she wants to get a bunch of crystals for what you can probably assume are primal related purposes yeah, as soon as they hear, as soon as Alphano hears about the crystals and then hears about Shiva, he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. They're going to summon a primal. Um, But, it's you know, it's interesting because later later people kind of discuss. We, we kind of get some discussion about about Shiva later that we'll talk about. But um, there's a weird one. There's a weird moment here where um, you kind of track the heretics to this this huge, like, cave system called Snowcloak, um which is where we glimpsed iceheart very briefly in the in the last patch there um and you know you're kind of setting up a perimeter with the temple knights and the crystal braves and all of that um and alphano gets rushed by some heretics and for some reason they mistake him for a girl yeah it's weird i don't like i has Usually when this happens, it's because Alice has been doing other stuff and like they're right now they're dressed the same. Yeah, but Alice is not has not been relevant to the game once. And Alice yeah, Alice is has not been relevant and she's definitely not been doing anything at Ishgard. So I don't know. It's weird. I don't really get it. It's probably it's probably a localization joke only, frankly. It it seems like a Koji Fox style joke. This happens a couple of times. There's another one. Um in heaven's word but he is saved by ida who by the way okay minfilia is the only motherfucker who knows what a coat is yes i was i wanted to bring this up okay alphano is complaining like oh you know everybody wants to come out here to the cold instead of going back to where like sensible people would go to talk about things and minfilia you know i make fun of her outfit all you want you know the woman does just have like you know three quarters half of an outfit on 80 percent of the time but i'll tell you what this woman owns other clothes and she shows up in a big fuzzy winter jacket she looks cozy as hell meanwhile alphano didn't even bother to put on a second coat over the fucking outfit that has a giant hole in the side yeah so the Alphano's outfit is confounding to me with the way it works. So he's got this—he's got this like jacket thing over what is presumably like a full-body leotard, but the, also the leotard has a bunch of holes in it. It's—it is truly baffling. I don't understand how those clothes work. I don't understand how do you put them on? How do you know 
how to put them on do you like does he need an instruction manual to to be able to wear these clothes the only a genius can wear these clothes because only a genius can figure out how they work apparently um on the other end of that is ida who shows up to save alfano who does doesn't care but doesn't never remarks about the cold she is still wearing her booty shorts but like I don't know. She never. She never complains about the cold. She's fine. That's just normal. Sometimes for for some people, you can just go out in a snowdrift in a pair of booty shorts, and you're fine. And you know what? More power to you, I guess. But that that ain't me. Now, let me tell you if you've heard this one before. So they've they've tracked the main the main tunnel into the Snowcloak Warrens, but it's too tight to send in a bunch of Temple Knights and Crystal Braves. What if instead we send in a small crack team of adventurers? What if? Uh, it seems like that might be a fairly common solution to the problem of making it so that only the Warrior of Light gets to participate in the big battles. Um, but yes, uh, with that, we are headed into the icy tunnels of the level 50 dungeon, Snowcloak. The number one thing to talk about with Snowcloak. I love the music. Ah, uh, it's it's okay. The thing about the the thing about the Warrens, which is the track for for Snowcloak, it it is it is this is kind of the first time you've had an ice level. I guess Stone Vigil sort of counts, but like, ah, that was also a castle. The Snowcloak is is a, is is literally a, a secret base like made out of natural tunnels in the ice um i I just like you know snow cloak it makes me think of like it's it's a very wintry sounding song it's a very cozy sounding song i can imagine myself listening to the warrens as i'm chilling by the fire in winter wearing a big robe it's christmas yeah like it's just it's just very it's just a very pleasant song it's not it's not a banger it's not like it's not like crazy impressive it's just something that i listen to is like ah that's lovely yeah it's not bad it, it doesn't really stand out to me that much but uh but you know it's pleasant enough it's not it's i don't dislike it it's just very it's a very like what's a good way to put it it's a very safe song like it, it's a very expected song like it reminds me a lot, actually, of Ice Cap, the level from Sonic Adventure 1. Um, it reminds me a lot of some of the, the soundtrack that is in that level. Particularly, there is an ice cave portion uh, somewhere in the middle of it where you're, like, going on a bunch of, like, icicles and shit. And that's, like, very similar feeling to this track, which is, like, it's not bad. Um, I think it's perfectly serviceable. I just think, you know... You could have maybe gone a little bit more in, in in a more creative direction with it. So Snowcloak as a dungeon is pretty straightforward, although there have been several changes to it. Um, 
in recent patches. So yeah, some minor and some not. Yeah, first fight pretty much the same. It's against this thing. The, the main mechanic that always gets people with this first fight, who we can never remember the name of, it's like Gundir or something, um, is that he will summon a blizzard that if you are not moving, uh, while it while it casts, you will be given like a stack of of sheer cold. If you get hit by two of those, you're frozen solid. Yes, it is. It's you got to keep moving. It's very important. Um, this is actually the precursor to a series of mirrored mechanics that will appear many, many times in uh, the future of the game um, that are typically called uh, the stop moving is pyretic and the and the keep moving is cryonic. No, I don't think it's that. It's it's something else. But uh, but yeah, there's there's that is a very common thing that will appear many times. Now the one that got a lot of changes, the one that really really surprised me because I, I I did not actually know that they changed anything in Snowclick when I did it most recently. I, I I had not kept up on a lot of the the balance patches with regards to the dungeons, and so when I got to the Yeti, I was getting ready for how the fight normally goes, which as it used to go, and I I always liked. The Yeti fight. I thought it was pretty funny because the way that the Yeti fight works or used to work is that the the boss itself uh, has really high resistance and takes very little damage. So what you have to do instead is force it to like freeze these Spriggans that keep spawning. And the Spriggans don't like do any damage, really. They're just there as part of the mechanic. The, you, he would freeze these spriggans into hu- in, into snowballs, and you could make the snow go- smo- snowballs get bigger by, like, aiming his AoE at them. Um, and then, when he did a full arena-wide AoE, you would hit the snowball and would stun him and do a fuck ton of damage. And that's how that went. Yeah, and people quite often didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, the problem is that how the fuck are you supposed to know any of that? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the a lot of the mechanics are a very very puzzly in in the sort of older editions uh, of 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 the game here, and they have gone to fairly big lengths to try and minimize the puzzle elements and try and make the mechanics a lot more clearer and um, much more focused on what the current direction for Final Fantasy XIV's gameplay loop is. Like, there, there, there is a stark difference in philosophy between the Final Fantasy XIV that existed at the time of the creation of these patches and the Final Fantasy XIV that exists today. Um... There was a lot more of an emphasis, seemingly, on puzzle-style elements to to figuring out how best to uh, tackle these problems and and figure and and manage your resources when doing it. Um, and now the philosophy is a lot more on execution, like being able to sort of play keyboard ddr uh while making sure to uh dodge things and have a lot of situational awareness so it's a lot less you know it's a lot less of a problem solving style of challenge and more of an execution style of challenge neither which i think uh is is better or worse than the other but it is definitely important to note that there is that very stark shift 
in philosophy of designing things. Yeah, so the Yeti, now the main thing is that he, he still makes snowballs, but instead of having to throw, the, throw them at him, uh, he will do like a big ground pound that tosses everybody up. And you have to stay away from the snowballs because they create an AoE when they land. I think it's actually a pretty fun, like, like movement check of, like, stay away from the snowballs. And it's also just very fun to get flung up in the air. Yeah, it's it's very fun. I, I think it's a I think it's a fun new mechanic. I think the Yeti is much more parsable now. It's very easy to understand what's going on. Like, you don't run into this issue. Like, you, you, you would have a, an issue where... You could wipe on this boss a couple of times where people really figured out what was going on. Um, and and I'm pretty happy to to see this change, ultimately. And the the final boss of Snowclo... Actually, before we get to the final boss, there is another really interesting mechanic that I really like that I'm glad they kept. Um, you get past a few more rooms. There's this really, really slow, like a big, long ad pull in this, in this room with a bunch of ice caves. Um, and then you get the final approach to the doors to Oblivion, uh, as it's called, and you get these dragon Aries, like you saw in the, the Stone Vigil, and you get these heretics who start casting um, something, I forget what it is, and if they complete their cast, they turn into another dragon, and they um, get like a full refill of their health and stuff. So they're really, really weak while they're still human, um, but if if you let them turn into dragons, it's 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 a lot more difficult to deal with, and I think that's really cool. Like you can just ignore the other dragons, go straight for the the humans, and you'll have an easier time with the fight. I think it's I think that's a neat little thing. You can also stun them out of their transformation. This is true. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. They they talk about so they talk about how Dravanians use glamours to look like dragons. I don't know how good you have to be at a glamour to do that but it's pretty impressive it is pretty impressive it's definitely it's definitely the uh the the most the most uh powerful glamouring that i've ever seen um but uh but yes you 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 end up fighting your way to the doors of oblivion you pop it open and what's inside not lady iceheart but um a wolf, really, just just big wolf. Yeah, her pet dog is inside. Um, this is Fenrir. Fenrir is pretty similar to how he was before, just with you know more streamlined mechanics. Um, although I don't think the I don't think the big icicles launched themselves at you like fucking bullets anymore. No, they do not. These these mechanics are slightly streamlined. They're not very different. Um, there's more markers, there's more, like, straightforward stuff here. The icicles that drop from the ceiling that are not strong enough to withstand the big raid-wide sort of AoE that, uh, that Fenrir does, now they're highlighted with, um, this, this sort of red crackling, um, and the one that, that, that can survive is, is normal, so there's, there's a lot more sort of clear indication of exactly what you're supposed to do. Again, it is uh, one of those situations where the philosophy has shifted away from trying to puzzle out a solution to just being able to have situational awareness and execute on the fight itself. After you beat the dog, um, Iceheart actually does show up. And here is where I get to talk about Iceheart, or Yazale, as she introduces herself first. She, she says... I was born Yazael, but I earned the name Iceheart, which is interesting. Yes. How did she earn that? 
we'll see. We'll, we we can guess uh, later, but um, for now, Yazale's dub voice actor, her name is Sally Safoidi. She is, unfortunately, Hilda in Fire Emblem Three Houses, a character that I don't like personally. You can like it. Listeners, you can like Hilda all you want. I just find her kind of annoying. Um, she is also Mistral from Metal Gear Rising. And the the her big her most enduring role her roles, I should say, are as Claudine Wolf and Cleo Denial in various monster high media stuff. Huh. Now she's really good in Metal Gear Rising and Despite how much I don't like Hilda as a character, I think she's very good in Fire Emblem Three Houses. What the fuck happened? Because what I, I I don't have the English voice track on, but from what I remember about Icehearts ARR voice, it was bad. It's I I wouldn't call it horrible. Like I think there are way more egregious performances, but it's very flat. That's that's what it is. It's it is it is monotone. It is, she she is. Talking like a like an arch villain, pretty much. She's talking like an arch villain. She's talking like a stereotypical sort of RPG antagonist, and it's just very. I don't know. It's it's just not compelling. I don't find her performance very moving. Um, she has a lot of line deliveries where she's trying to sound very self-righteous and have these monologues where she's sort of poking at you to sort of make you think about what it is you're actually doing and what masters you serve um and a lot of it unfortunately doesn't really have the impact that i think it could um because the voice acting just can't really carry it it can't carry the weight of the material that it's trying to lift now conversely the japanese dub can ice hearts japanese voice actress is maya uchida who is phenomenal um there is a horrible sadness to ice hearts japanese voice that just sort of comes through in everything she says um her voice is so much softer than i expected because uh, i hadn't heard her in japanese before and i think literally when when she first spoke i literally went out loud oh so miss uh M- miss uchiha here uchida uh had a big had a really big important role recently actually as a very popular character she is the voice of the angel devil in the chainsaw man anime insanely popular character Everyone everyone loves Angel Devil, from what I understand. She also voices Zero in Dragon Guard 3, which will become funny in a moment. Um, Yuki Yoshino from Food Wars. And I a lot a lot of her roles were somewhat smaller and in somewhat more like obscure anime, but I just picked out a few that, that stood out to me. Yuki Yoshino seems to be, you know, there's been a lot of Food Wars out there, so she she was credited in a lot of stuff. And finally she is Mudrock in arcanites oh i've seen that character around uh, yeah she's the the portrait i saw on behind the voice actor was just someone in a huge fuck off suit of like techno knight armor seems pretty good um but 
Yeah, I you know, Icehearts English voice actor cannot quite get the like the kind at the kind of emotions that that you need to portray as Iceheart. Because the thing about Lady Iceheart um, is that she's not like an arch villain or whatever. She she is she is completely dedicated to her cause, and that will that will lead her into doing terrible things. But like. She is fully convinced that this is the only like the 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 Dragon Song War must stop. It must end. Exactly. There's there's no end to a conflict like this because you know the sons of the sons of the sons of the sons just keep following all of their father's instructions. Like they they are taught from birth to be unbelievably prejudiced in their in their waging of this war on both sides, but particularly on the side of Ishgard. And the only way to move forward and have a society that doesn't suck extremely bad is to end this stupid war. Because the thing about this war is that this war makes not only uh, life a living hell for everyone who has to fight in it, but it's worth you know, noting that the war keeps Ishgard the way it is. Ishgard can't progress as a society because its priorities will always be making sure there are enough bodies to throw at the dragons when they come calling. So, as far as Ysail is concerned here, the only reasonable choice is to use every single thing within her power to make sure that that war ends. And if that means that she has to kill a few knights to make that happen, she is absolutely more than willing. Because as far as she's concerned, this is just more bodies on the pile. Like, this war has been going on for so long that nobody even remembers how it started. So, what's like five more? What's ten more? What's twenty more? If it means that it finally gets to end. She uh, teleports away using one of the, like, uh, crudely fashioned Aether Crystals, or the Aetherite crystals that we've seen a few times usually in the layers of the myriad tribes but it seems like the heretics also have one um and you you kind of go outside to to share what's what's happened with the rest of the scions this is where minfilia shows up in her big comfy coat now there's an interesting bit here where alphano talks to Amric, um and because Amric is is basically telling all of his knights don't go in there until like you know like until the sappers have come back and 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 said that we were we're we're clear of hostiles and alphano remarks that like he thought that the lord commander of the temple knights would be a much more you know zealous pursuer of his enemies that he would have the 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 wrath of the of halone within him to like uh guide him towards justice and amor just basically goes i'm not about all that shit yeah, he's much more pragmatic, and he's not really even necessarily a man of great faith. He is a guy who cares much more about the individuals under his command than he does uh, what the church happens to think about things, which is very unique for a man in his position. Um, now, what's important to note is that uh, upon further investigations after this, uh, I- after you've managed to clear out the warrens here and make a way into the uh, Aetherite chamber at the end, 
it seems like there's not anything that this thing is connected to. And after looking into it, it turns out that, uh, that after Yasail hops, uh, skips and jumps to the second beacon, she had that shit torn the fuck down. She was like, nope, you're not following me. I am ripping this thing to shreds. So that's a bit of a problem. And in order to solve that problem, Minfilia has to get on the phone and call up a friend of hers in Charlie and an expert on Aetherites. Briefly want to interject because I've started doing something. Um, now, of course, every time you visit the Rising Stones, usually uh, it's it's different. Things, people are doing different things in different places. Uh, usually it changes between every like big big event in a patch and then it, it kind of stays the same at the end of a patch and i've decided i'm going to start taking notes of every time i return to the rising stones like what's what's going on is there anything notable going on or like anything characterful uh going on there's quite a lot that actually happens in this patch there's there's a, there's a few very characterful moments i one of the best one this this one's a really good one so here for this one before you talk to menphilia about uh someone new coming to town you can you can talk talk to everyone in the rising stones so in the corner Ida and Hori Boulder are engaged in a squatting contest. Yeah, which Hori is losing, by the way. Yeah, Ida, Ida, Ida is barely breaking a sweat. Um, her legs must be as hard as like iron. Yes, that that's pretty good. There's also a bit where uh, Thancred is bragging about all the cool stuff he was doing like two patches ago, and everybody's like, "Wow, Yugiri's so cool!" And he's like, "I, I was there too." <laughs> And the best one is over the receptionist's desk. For some fucking reason, <laughs> Tataru has decided that she wants to be a street performer. Specifically, a juggler. So she's taking up juggling. <laughs> she's performing for uh, Yishtola and Papalima. And Papalima turns to you and whispers, I don't... Does she know that, like, being a street performer doesn't actually make you that much money? Yeah, she, she, later she's like, oh, I seem to have been misled about how much money I can make doing street juggling. And it's like, yeah, well, keep your day job, lady, I'm sorry. It's just very funny, you walk in there and you kind of look over and there's just Tataru juggling. It's like, well, okay, that's fine. Okay, the thing about, the thing I love about the Rising Stones that the Raking Sands never, ever got is that, like, we we talked about it in the in the big bloodbath episode. Like the scions never really felt like a, a group the player could have any connection to, in ARR proper before Livia Sasjunius fucking kill streaked her way through the base. Um, but the rising the fact that if you every time you go into the rising stones, you can find both the main scions and like the minor scions and the Doman refugees and Menphilia's mom and Tataru, all of them are like interacting and doing different stuff every time and it's just like it it just creates a much better mood for like this is a place that i like to be in these are characters that i like to be around these are characters who like have character yeah like they're they're having fun they're they're talking to each other they're having moments that are that are high and moments that are low and like you know scenes you would never get in the waking sands are like Yishtola and Thancred and um and uh and Mumbrita all having a drinking contest and Thancred getting basically completely fucking smashed and like 
barely keeping his head off the table like would that have happened in in the waking sands no of course not because nobody in that was a character but now now they get to be speaking of let's talk about Monbrita because Menphilia tells you that she has indeed called in some backup from Charlene an expert in aetherite teleportation who hopefully can help them figure out how to chase down Iceheart and stop her from summoning Shiva um and uh, you, you're she, she's arriving within the hour, and so you head out there, and and Monbrita arrives, and Monbrita is great. I love Monbrita. Yeah, she's great. She's a big bombastic row lady with a cool haircut and a fun outfit, and she's just she's just fun. There's a there's a tattoo that a lot of I don't know because like the Shirley and Archon marks I know, but like what what is the the eye represents something else, right? That it's also like some kind of Shirley and tattoo. Several people have them. I'm pretty sure it's the it's the mark of the circle of knowing. I'm pretty sure that was like Louis Soi's thing, if I remember correctly. Well, Monbrita got it on her thigh because she's fun and flirty. Yeah. Now, Monbrita's voice actors. Um This is an interesting one, because one of them is much more prolific than the other, and it's not the one you'd probably expect. Marita's English voice actor is Laura Post, who has been working in anime for a very... the anime dubbing for a very, very long time. She is... uh, she, uh, She has a few notable roles for me. She's Valentine in Skullgirls. She plays Catherine in Fire Emblem Three Houses. Uh, she is Diana Cavendish in Little Witch Academia's dub. And she is Fubuki from One Punch Man. And I only chose those four, but trust me. Basically, any anime you've watched between, like, 2005 and, like, 2019, she's somewhere in there. In the dub, anyway. Yeah, and she's... And and she puts out like a pretty good performance. I quite like her English performance. Uh, I think it's uh, it's fun. Uh, she's got like a good attitude. Um, she she like effectively communicates a character who is just generally like kind of a laid back, fun loving, but like smart ass kind of character who like really does know what she's talking about, but also likes to rub it in. Uh, sometimes, you know, she's a bit flirty with stuff, especially with Yuri Anjay, who she has history with. And I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's pretty well done. Not my favorite performance, but definitely up there. Her Japanese voice actor is Yu Sugimoto, who honestly doesn't have as many roles and most of them are pretty small, but I, I picked out uh, a couple of things. For one, she has actually several notable characters in Heavensward which is interesting, um, and we'll get to them at some point later, but the the big one that made my eyes pop out of my head. She dubbed Milhouse Van Houten specifically in the Simpsons movie. Huh. There was a different dub voice actor for the show, but in the movie she played Milhouse. All right. Well, you know, how could you get any more similar of a character between Monbrita and Milhouse? Two great tastes that go great together. Everything's coming up, Monbrita. It it really is. So you can you kind of you know we we kind of see that every, everyone loves Monbrita. She and Ida have this like sisterly bond. I really like Ida going like we're sisters. Can't you tell we look so much alike? And everyone just kind of like 
looks at her for a minute. Yeah, Papa Papa Limo has some like like little catty comments about it, and uh, you know everybody seems to have like a good rapport with this lady. She goes way back with them. Um, you know clearly. Oh, yeah. You know who goes way back with Moonbrita? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Our, our, our mysterious enigmatic friend, Yuri Anjay. Um, Now, to put it in, a, in terms all of you, all of you Twitter Zoomers will understand, <laughs> Moonbrita is the bad bitch Yuri Anjay pulled by being autistic. Oh my god. They, look. I love the t- the constant tease because Yurianje has basically been entirely implacable this entire time. Yeah, so, such a mysterious guy. Ooh, he's he's so deep and has so much like like mystique about him, and it's like, nah, he's just a big fucking nerd. I love her going like, "Oh, Yurianji, what is it? What is it you said to me to summon me here? Oh, I, I, you, you, you must come to my side. I, I have a need that only you can fill." And Yurianji's like, "I was talking. I was, I was talking about the teleportation thing. I wasn't talking about anything else." Yeah, it's so funny. And then she, she like picks this dude up in a bear, bear hug and lifts him. him entirely off the floor because by the way, Yuriandre's tall. Mombrita, uh, she's like eight feet tall. Yes. Um uh, so just 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 for the record as far as like, you know, my 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 personal opinions on the character. Um two thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, really. Um and I, I love I love uh like reaction to this. Like e- even in English, uh, it manages to really shake him up a little bit he's like oh unhand me i it's all all g willikers about the whole thing it's very funny um and it's and but unbreed is not just here to uh you know deal with this teleportation thing she's also been working on another project for the scions specifically she's the one who's been trying to figure out how you kill an assian and she's uh she's she she's trying to figure it out because she's got this white orosite which is a type of crystal that can hold vast quantities of aether, but only for a short amount of time. Yes, and to make a long story short there, basically the plan is this. Um, as far as killing an Asian is concerned, you need two things. One, you need to be able to store their entire soul, all of it, in one tiny little spot. Now, the Ultrasight covers that. What it doesn't cover is you gotta blow it up. Now, you don't know exactly how much ether there is in an Asian soul, but you can imagine it's probably quite a bit. Um, but we do know of one thing that has provably busted one of these guys open like a can of tomatoes, and that is the Blade of Light that Heidelin sort of got you to form at the very end of ARR to sort of cut right through uh, La Habrea and, and get him out of Thancred. Now, you don't really know how to do that on demand, and it certainly takes a lot of ether to pull that off. Uh, ether that was supplied to you from the six crystals of light that you had to gather over your little journey. So as far as being able to, to have that little blade at the ready for when you want to crack this, uh, the, this white orosite open, you know, that part's unsolved, but at least you've got a path now. There, there is theoretically a way to do this. So that's not the only thing White Orosai can do, of course. Uh, she also theorizes that you, she can use it to follow Ysail 
through the broken uh, Aetherite. Because, though the direct connection is gone, Aether still flows between those two points. Now, the problem is that uh, if you try to ride an Aether flow without two connecting Aetherites, um, you'll, you'll just, like, dissolve into nothing. Yeah, the, the Ethereal Sea is somewhat corrosive to the soul your 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 soul has to like have something to anchor onto in the real world to not just dissolve back into its constituent components in the ethereal sea so you need the as they put it a lighthouse to sort of guide you between two points a current to follow so you can get there quickly and a destination to pop out of so that you don't you know cease to be um and the thing is, you know, if the other end of a uh, an aetherite is gone, you can still technically have a little bit of a current between those two locations. Like, it's not completely gone forever. Yeah, so her plan is functionally to... Load up this white orosite with just a fuck ton of aether uh, from everyone else in the scions, and then use that to kind of supercharge the aetherite to allow you to follow that flow to its conclusion. And you probably won't die. Yeah, everyone who's ever attempted it before has died, but they didn't have white orosite, baby. So you have at least, at least better than even odds and you know it's worth i want to talk a little bit about how everyone talks about shiva because um they there are people who kind of discuss like is shiva even a primal because almost every other primal with the exception of good king mogulmog is some kind of ancient primal god worshipped for like thousands upon thousands of years uh whereas shiva was a real person who became a, a sort of heretical saint. And, you know, Menphilia wonders if, like, is that even strong enough to constitute a primal? But Alphanus says, like, well, they've got faith and they've got crystals. I don't really know what else you need for a primal. Yeah, and this is this is interesting because, like... King Good King Mogulmog is a situation where they can kind of be like, well, this is a mythical figure from their past, kind of a god king situation. So there is enough kind of like ambient stuff going on here that you can see that as being on the same general wavelength as the other primals. But because Shiva was just a regular person, this is really upsetting the sort of foundation of knowledge that the scions have to work with like a lot of their understanding of primals comes specifically from louis Soi's observations and his theoretical work on the subject and now that is being called into question like if any sufficiently, like, believed-in thing can just become a primal, then what actually is a primal? Well, we'll probably figure it out at some point. For now, though, we have to, uh, we have to, tele we have to make a risky teleport. So, 
Mombrita meets you over at Snowcloak and and escorts you down to the to the Aetherite, and so it's time for us to enter the Akafa Amphitheater. So it's important to note first about this trial that the music goes unbelievably hard. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So Shiva is a watershed for this game. Not necessarily because of the content of the fight. The fight's fine. I think as far as ARR primals go, Shiva is is pretty, uh, pretty, pretty straightforward and, and fine. But the music is important. But the other important thing about Shiva is the manner of her summoning. We've all seen how you summon a primal. You you have a bunch of crystals, you beseech a god, and it pops into existence. That's not what happens here at all. No, not at all. Yasail stands in the center of this amphitheater, and she confronts you and says, if you're going to be blind and follow the, you know, the, 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 the warmongers and not listen to reason, then I have no reason to hold back. And she calls upon the spirit of Saint Shiva to personally inhabit her, to quell the hatred within uh, within her heart and to replace it with the the power overwhelming required to end this war. And around her, uh, a, a cocoon of ice appears and she manages to turn herself into a primal manifestation of Saint Shiva, but a primal manifestation that very specifically is still Yasail. It's her sexy Shiva Sona. It is indeed her sexy Shiva Sona. She's got her she's she's got her own pri, uh, primal like uh like like kitty situation going on. And she's going to use that ability to try and kill you with ice powers. And this fight is like you said, pretty straightforward, um, but I still think kind of interesting. Like, you you have... So it's broken up into two general phases. You have this... The first phase... Um, do you have the titles of these tracks pulled up? I, I know them by heart, don't you worry. I've listened to these fucking tracks many times. Okay, beautiful. The first phase theme is called Footsteps in the Snow, which is this wonderful little waltz um that you know it's got a choral backing it's got the kind of tinkling instrumentation you associate with ice and it's a very it's it's just it's just a very cool atmospheric boss track and that plays over the first phase where you know you've uh, i think the the main mechanic that shiva first introduces is these kind of overlapping aoes that aren't necessarily the orange kind yes she makes these circles of hail that all overlap, and you have to find the safe spot, or you'll get what's called a vulnerability stack, um, which I think 
might be the first time it shows up in any fight. I don't know if it's the first time. Uh, I haven't been paying enough attention, I guess, to, to, to really notice. But I do definitely know that uh, this is probably the first notable instance where it really matters. Because those Voln stacks um, are going to make you really easy to kill off with these hail attacks. And additionally, they make you very vulnerable to stuff like her her ad phase and the snap freeze the the diamond dust attack that she does that signals the phase transition now this is the moment i was talking about because what's important about the shiva fight it's not necessarily the the content itself the content's fine it's a it's a fun fight the important thing is that this is the first boss fight with some real fucking flash because the phase changes that she casts Diamond Dust, which is the Shiva spell. In every single Final Fantasy game, the Shiva summon always uses Diamond Dust, right? That's the big thing. And she casts Diamond Dust, she freezes everyone solid, and she chooses one random person to stomp her heels on to break all of the ice, and then the second phase theme starts playing. And what's the what's the title of that phase music? That song is called Oblivion. Now, Oblivion is unlike any other track in the game so far. Um, Oblivion is a J-Rock song. Oblivion is all... it. it the, the moment... I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine playing this game in... 2015 or whatever this patch came out and you don't you're playing shiva for the first time and you don't know what's gonna happen you know how this fight's gonna go and you're like oh fuck she summoned the primal into her body that's crazy and then you get to this phase change and you hear and the 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 click of her heels on the ice and then this song starts playing yeah i would go i would go fucking ballistic because this thing is an unbelievable banger like Snowcloak's theming and its and its 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 audio is very reserved, very predictable, and that sort of thing. Whereas here, it just it gets really turned up all the way to uh, to, to to eleven. It, it's it's genuinely one of the best tracks in the game, let alone this phase of the game. Like it, it just it just goes hard. It's perfect to like. Um just scream along to the lyrics and it's worth noting uh there is also an alternate version of this song i I need to remember what the fuck it's called because on one of on one of the compilation cds with the primals they made this into like a like a slow sad ballad really i gotta listen to that sometime oh my god what is it called it's called Oblivion Never Let It Go. Just like Frozen. Just like Fro- Frozen. And yeah, it's, it's just like a much slower version of Oblivion. And it's just like, wow. It's just, it's just very good, is the thing about Oblivion. And the fight ends. Um, there's really nothing else to talk about in with regards to his mechanics, but there's a lot to talk about with the post-fight cutscene. Yes, because Ysail comes out of this haggard and and exhausted she she breaks out of her her shiva sort of situation here very literally it sort of shatters off of her and she's left 
not quite too exhausted to stand, but really close. And she is spiteful. She's she's quite spiteful, uh, sort of spitting her words at you. And, and she's very like, listen, you, you are just another line in a long line of people deceived by a story that you don't even know the beginning of. You're, you know, you're, you're doing the bidding of people who are monstrous and have absolutely no interest in the well-being of people on either side of the conflict. And those people themselves are really no better. They're just following the orders of people, following the orders of other people who have never questioned it once uh, their whole lives. And she bids you... She does two very, very important things here. First, she bids you to go talk to the Keeper of the Lake. She says to seek out Midgard Swarmer, to really look with your own eyes unclouded at the reality of the situation, what this war is really about. But she does something else. She says three very important words. She says, hear, think, feel. She says a lot of important words, actually. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, the, the dub performance has her kind of spitting her words because the sub performance is not really like that at all. Once again, there's just a sort of like sadness to her um she says that you know blind as you are we are not beyond redemption she says you know she hopes that like though you know like this this fight isn't pointless she says like you know those who walk before can lead those who walk after which is a lyric from answers very very important and then she says she says, hear, think, feel, as she teleports away in a, a flash of light that sure does look a lot like Heidelin. She also says to not waste mother's gift. Yes, and with this information, we can ascertain one very important thing, and that's that Ysail has the echo. Yes, uh, you, you kind of report back to everyone, and... There is, uh, the, you know, Minfilia basically comes to the conclusion that, like, what happened is that Ysail has the Echo, and somehow she saw the truth of, of the beginning of the Dragonsong War. She knows. She knows something that nobody else alive knows. And because, like, what else could spur her to do this? Um, they also, they are also, everyone is also just like, floored by the manner of Shiva's summoning. Nobody knows how that's even fucking possible. Yeah, like like Munbrita, when you come out of there and you tell her what happened, she's like asking to make sure if you have a concussion or not. Like, are you sure you saw that? Is that are you you know, head trauma can maybe make you a little funny up there. Oh, there's also one other thing after the there's a okay. <sighs> there's a there's an Astian watching you. Oh god. And you may think, oh it's Lahabray again. But no, it's not La Habrea. Uh, he isn't named here, but I'll just go ahead and name him because it's pretty obvious once you see his mask. This is Nabrialis. Fucking Nabrialis. And he he says, you know, he's like, ah, of course the vessel was not strong enough. La Habrea will be ple- uh, La Habrea will not be happy, but he is pleased by this. You know, it's more assing infighting. Um, 
Nabrialis' voice actor is weird. So his dub voice actor uh, is Gideon Emery, who uh, voices Fenris from Dragon Age 2, Steve Fox from Tekken, oh, and fucking Yuri Anje. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Same guy. Um, his Japanese voice actor is the enigmatic part. So his Japanese voice actor is named Masumi Yoshida, who has three credits in his entire life like his entire career one of them is nabrialis one of them is like a bit character in gintama and one of them is some guy named kurugo karachi in the kengan ashura anime from like two years ago huh that's it i checked imdb to see if he was like a guy who was on japanese tv or something a lot or if he was like a producer or something no I don't know anything about this fucking guy. It's a real mysterious character, apparently. He's fine, I guess. I mean, Nabrialis isn't exactly the most engaging character, but, like, he does a good job. He's ominous. Yeah, I mean, the English voice actor, too, just very okay. I mean, Nabrialis is not exactly compelling, so what do you have to work with, uh, really? So, you know, there, there's a few steps here. There's the Scions. There's also the report to uh, Aymeric, uh, which is interesting here. So... You and Alphano kind of meet back up with Aymeric after the whole, you know, Shiva thing. Um, there's actually a few other interesting things I want to hit on. Because there's a bit here where Alphano is is talking about, like, the, 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 um, the consequences of Shiva's summoning. And one of the things he brings up is, is like... If Garlemald knows that it's not just the quote-unquote beast tribes that can summon primals, but anyone, they will bring the hammer down on Eorzea really quickly. Yeah, because as far as Garlemald is concerned, the greatest threat to the whole planet is icons or primals. Like, as far as they're concerned, like, they were willing to basically conquer the entire planet in it, on the predication that if they don't do this, the land will be rent asunder and reduced to ash by these, like, roving, horrible monstrosities of Aether. So, yeah, if they learn that, you know, you can just decide to put on a big primal suit and go wreak havoc, they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that anybody who knows that is put six feet under. Um, now that this Amor conversation I wanted to talk about, because this is where we get much more of his, like, true character. Because he talks about, like, where he came from. Because he, he, sa- he asks Alphano, what what kind of man do you think the Lord Commander of the Temple Knights is, right? Like, what what do you think when you hear that? You think you think someone who came from good stock, someone who's from, like, a really, a really high-up noble family, right? Well, he didn't. He is not from a notable family. Uh, House Deborah, from what I remember, is actually quite minor. And so he's like, I made it here where I am through my own convictions and my own, like, ideals. And his ideals often run counter to the ideas of the Archbishop and the Holy See, right? He, he, but he's also, the thing I like about Amor, he is a, he he is a good boy. He is a very he is a very um he's a very honorable fellow. He's a very idealistic fellow. But he's not naive because 
he's he's a little he can be a little bit tricky because Alphano realizes that like this whole thing he was talking about with like the keeper of the lake, he asks straight up like, was there any actual danger to Midgard Stormer waking up? And Amrick basically just says, not really, no. Yeah, no, this is all very it's 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 a lot of like Ishgardian maneuvering here, trying to bolster Mordona, bolster uh, Revenant's toll as a good defense against uh, Ishgard's enemies to the south, trying to build relationships that are advantageous to Ishgard, that uh, further Ishgard's interests. And Alphino gets a little bit pissed off of this. He's like... Oh, he's so mad about being politically outmaneuvered. Yeah, he's so pissed off about being politically outmaneuvered because he's supposed to be the smart one who does that to other people. No, he's he's very bitter and like, oh, I'm glad to be of service to the mighty city of Ishgard and whatever like that. And, and Amaric just sort of lays out to him like, hey, listen, buddy, this is just politics. Like, bear in mind, this is still a mutually beneficial relationship. You're still getting a lot from us. But like, this is this is just the chess game. And you've devoted like you've devoted your life to playing this chess game, kid. You better get used to it at a certain point. Um, and he says, "From I know I'm going to be very busy, but I, you know, if if you have any business for me, you can talk to my second in command, who has of yet has not been named. Um, she has just been listed as Taciturn Temple Knight, but her name is Lucia. Um, and he says she is not of Ishgardian birth. She has no allegiance to any noble house. Her only loyalty is to me, and so you, any business you have for me, you can bring to her." And trust her completely. Because, um, now, it's interesting, right? She, he mentions that. Because every ba- every single Ishgardian that we have seen up until this point has been an elf. Almost without exception, I think. She's not. She isn't. She she is not an elf. She has rounded ears. She is weirdly tall, but who knows? She just drank her milk. It's fine. That's true. Sometimes you just get tall. And... She is, uh, and, and he makes a note of that. He's like, yeah, this lady is not Guardian. She's not from around here. And that puts her in a very interesting position because that means she has no ties to noble houses and is basically, as far as Guardian standards are concerned, she's incorruptible. She has no, like, underhanded motives to double-cross anybody or play to her own interests here. She can be as loyal to Amaric as she wants to be. And that's worth its double its weight in gold, really. Lucia's voice actors. Now, um, she doesn't have much to say in error, I don't believe. She's got, like, a few lines. But her English voice actor is Tara Platt. Um, another, another, like, much like Laura Poe, she's been around for a very long time. Yeah, I recognize that name. You will, once I list her, her roles. Um, she is Mitsuru from Persona 3. She is the English voice of Zero from Drakengard 3. Uh, we got both of them in the game. Uh, she is the dub voice for Millia Rage in Modern Guilty Year. And of course, she is the incomparable... Edelgard von Hressvelg from Fire Emblem Three Houses. Ah, there it is. Yep, okay. A character whom I have great personal fondness for. Um, her 
she also but like she also voices tamari in naruto like that's one of her biggest roles and she is the voice of the like the 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 lady russian boss voice from saints row the third that's so funny that is also her um her japanese voice actress name is sayaka ohara and she's she's been in a fuck ton of stuff i i my eyes bugged out of my head when i saw the scroll wheel size on her page i was like oh fuck <laughs> okay um but her her big with some of her bigger roles she is urza scarlet in fairy tale she is margaret from persona 4 and she is beatrice from the umineko uh series of games and i guess by extension higurashi you'll recognize her as the woman with the pipe who's making the funny face in all of the memes that's her she's she's the umineko lady and she voices livia in this very game yeah and i think from a performance standpoint uh so far livia is pretty normal um you mean lucia or sorry lucia different characters um lucia is uh I, I would say her performance is pretty decent um in english i think that she manages to like come across as a very like you know knightly stately kind of character i think that the performance is pretty good so yeah she doesn't have much to do right now but you know uh, she she is doing a perfectly fine job um god what else is it because it's uh it's it's two hours in we've been this patch is so big i know i know i know there's exactly one last thing that matters and once again at the very end of a patch we get an update on the students of baldesian now we know that their island exploded and then we found out later their island exploded really hard but did you know that their island exploded even harder than that it exploded so hard it didn't actually explode it's gone it just ceased to exist entirely it got ripped out of reality basically yeah it's not like a it's not like a big ruined crater it's just not there anymore yeah there's like a big ethereal disturbance where the island used to be a big hole in reality the whole island's just gone and not only that but apparently a bunch of researchers abroad who were all researching mysteriously the same topic also went missing at the same time. And the thing that they and the students were all researching all at the same time was a phenomenon called dimensional compression, or as the ancient texts call it, the rejoining. Of course, the only uh, survivor of the, the Isle of Valenstein is Kryle. I guess grahatia who is also a member of the students was spared this disappearance because he was also he was not investigating that particular thing yeah he was too busy looking at towers and crystals he was on the allegan beat um but yeah basically they won't have any other information to work off of until cryo wakes her ass up which you know could take a while but yeah that's our that's our students of baldesian update very funny that there's all of this shit happening entirely off screen with characters we don't know <laughs> yeah it's very very funny i'm i it's just i like every single update it's like oh you thought that they they exploded no you don't even know you don't even know how bad they exploded let me tell you like it's 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 very funny but yes that's going to do it for us um for the the first half of this episode so why don't you uh roll with some plugs here my friend that's right all right well 
we of course are on patreon at patreon.com slash crystal radio works um it's 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 uh there's so many tiers you can donate you can donate one dollar you will get all of our backlog relating to our, our old cartoon shows like the uh, Owlcast, the Infinicast covering the first season of the Infinity Train, and the Kipocast, all about Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. In addition, for $1, you can vote in our polls about on uh, for our monthly animation podcast, Talk Cycles. Month of May, our patrons decided it was going to be Gravity Falls Season 1. Yeah, so look forward to that. Uh, if you want to give us $5, then you get access to all of our current bonus content, which is going to be Final Fantasy XIV exclusive type stuff uh, that, that's going to uh, start getting rolled out relatively soon here. Uh, it also gives you access to any polls related to that. And if you want to donate $8, that gets you uh, all of the previous, but you also get to participate in raid nights and other various sort of community event type stuff that we are still uh, shaping up, but we'll be rolling out not too long from now, now that we, of course, have some raids unlocked that we can do with everybody. And of course, patrons of the three and eight dollar tiers get shout outs at the end of every episode. So very special shout out to S. Marie, our newest three dollar patron, along with Argyle Funk, Dan Big Challenges, Silva, Becky, Scott Fairley, Vertigree, Rockadot, Mia Berg, Tobu, Amethyst Gurgis, Sid Vesper, Enrique Robleo, Aruncio. Trisha Montez, Imogen Q, Aurora Borealis, I Beauregard, Kaylee Louisa, Garrett Johnson, Emma Lynn, Haley Moreland, Yusuf Gurch, Ashley, Mabel Mayo, Mabel, Jennifer Jones, Jack O'Neuro, Michael Steinert, and TCO. Thank you very much. Your support means the world to us as always. And as always, if you wouldn't mind shooting us a review and a rating on whatever platform you happen to be listening to us on, that would do us a world of good go ahead and uh, you know pump that algorithm but um that's gonna do it for us on this side of the spoiler zone so if that is where you're leaving us then have a good one but if you want to talk about a few spoilers here and there um we'll see you on the other side
can't do many things because we'd be here for four fucking hours. Yeah, no, there's there's too much that we could talk about, and I'll be. There is no universe in which it is reasonable for our two point four episode to be longer than the Crystal Fucking Tower episode. So we we need to roll through this one. Number one thing I want to hit. It makes me incensed that old Da's political situation currently is completely fucking unchanged. It it's unbelievable. Like, oh my god, I was talking, I was talking to Mabel earlier, and literally, like the 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 storyline here with the Braves and with Old Da is good. I will fucking stand on. I will die on this hill. I think that storyline is good, but. It is marred by two very important things. One, Telegi Adelegi's weird George Soros like conspiracy ass bullshit that doesn't need to exist. But two, and more importantly, why is it that we go through all of this trouble and all of this effort to build up this like very obviously untenable political situation, this this deep level of corruption that we have a clear and, like, concise way of dealing with. Just a nice, easy route of saying, hey, Olda becomes a republic. It is just, it is so easy. It's right there. And then they just, at the last second, they get cold feet and decide, never mind, we're not doing any of that. Anyway, Mr. Manderville, come on in here and explain to us why Bootstrap's ideology is the best thing ever. It's insane that it's still the same fucking thing, except the only difference is that Telegi Adelegi got cut in half hamburger style, and Raubon left because he was sick of dealing with the fucking syndicate. Yeah, which, like, me too, bro. I'm sick of him too. I want to fucking leave. I don't want to look at Ulda again. Like, and it it's crazy because the city has the deepest and, like, it has the most content, has the most intrigue, it has the most stuff to do and they just fucking give up they just stop giving a shit you know what other city is introduced is kind of started to be explored here that has a lot of like political strife and and a deep set like wounds that scar it for fucking centuries and and needs to be changed. Uh, which city is that? That would be the Holy See of Ishgard. Do you want to know what city, what government got completely fucking reformed by the end of Heaven's Word? Yeah, it's fucking Ishgard. Like, oh my god, Ishgard has the exact same problem because that's, ugh, ugh, it drives me crazy. The, the parallels that are set up, they set up the parallels because the parallels are good. They set up a... Old Da and Ishgard are mirrors. The City of the Sands and the City of the Ice are akin with each other. They are built on rotten foundations that were based in forever wars that were all bullshit, like, 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 poorly justified conflicts to do a bunch of nonsense. Like, Old Da and Sildas thing is not really all that different from the Dragon Song War when you think about it. Except Olda just won its its situation. And they both are these incredibly disparate societies where the wealthy and the well-connected just fucking grind everybody beneath their heel at every possible opportunity. And Ishgard gets to fix it. And Olda just doesn't get to. They, they, they just 
they 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 tee it up. They put the the softball on the on the tee on the little tee at tee ball, and they get the the little five year old up there with the baseball bat, and then he gets distracted by like a kite and wanders off screen for several years. The fu- it, Nanamo is still the sultana. The syndicate is still in power, and nothing has functionally changed at all. And I don't think they're ever going to. Like I, at this point, like why? Like at this point, it it would be embarrassing, frankly, from my perspective. If I was like running this game and I was given the opportunity to change this and like actually finally do the plot line that I've left as a hanging chad for fucking like seven years, I'd be embarrassed. I wouldn't want to look at it. I would just try and sweep it under the rug and not let anybody know that I fucked up that hard. They fucked up so bad. To be clear, I'm not expecting like the fucking the fucking syndicate's heads on pikes or whatever. Like, I know what this game's politics are. I've said it before. At best, it's like an optimistically neoliberal, right? And that's it's fine. I don't need I don't need it to be all the way. But like, you gotta do something. You can't just leave it there. You gotta do something, like anything, like even doing just a, like a parliamentary republic, which are not good, by the way, but like even just doing that like Ishgard did would have been something, would have been something, like even, because like, you know, even a situation where it's like, okay, well, we want Nanamo to still be like the main person who's like your contact and like the president, quote unquote, of the country or whatever, just do Eden Ishgard. Because, like, Amrick was the guy who, like, helped lead a lot of that social change, and they just made him prime minister, uh, kind of against his will, slightly. Like, just do that with Nanamo. Just have them be like, okay, well, we'll do this, but you have to be the prime minister. Done. Easy. Finished. Yeah, it's like a thing where it's like, yeah, parliamentary republics aren't great, but you know what they're better than? Totalitarian theocracies. <laughs> Yeah, totalitarian theocracies or like whatever the fuck is going on at all. Faux monarchy, like oligarchy, like consortium cartel situations. Like who the fuck even knows? Enough, enough about all da. I'm mad about all da. I'll stay mad about all da forever. We have so much more time to be mad about Old Da. We've got, like, the next, like, 12 episodes are going to be just this exact conversation is going to happen, like, every single spoiler zone. At least at least next episode we get to watch The Legend Legend get cut in half. At least we get that, yeah. That's, that's, it's very funny that, that happens from, um, I mean, the, what else is there to, we could talk about Ysail, right? But, I mean, at this point, I don't know if there's much to talk about with her, because... I think one of the interesting things about Heaven's Word is that, like, okay, I don't know if it, I don't know if it recharacterizes her, right? I don't know if it does, because the the image I'm thinking of is the cutscene before Steps of Faith, where she's like laughing maniacally as the dragon army swoops in, which is simply not her vibe at all. Yeah, it's very weird. It's a little weird, yeah. But like, I don't know, Ysail is a is an interesting character and she's in a very strange place in the story because i think we'll we'll talk more about this when we get to uh the these parts in heavensward but like there is an uptick in the writing quality of heavensward a, pr- a pretty sharp uptick oh yeah the writing gets so much better like so much it's and it's not even necessarily in a bad spot right now i think that the writing 
like the quality of writing jumps up pretty severely from 2.0 to the patch quests. I think the the writing really jumps quite a bit and it's going to jump up again once we hit heaven's word. Like it's 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 a nice steady incline, I think. But like when I think about you say on Harshafont's death, deaths, right? It's it's one of those things where I I have never been you know, I like Harchafont just fine, and I think his death scene is very affecting, but, like, I'm not one of those people who's constantly crying about it, right? And the story likes to bring it up, and I think one of the one of the weird things about Heaven's Word's story is that there are some points in it where it feels like it is following dance moves that it hasn't really learned. Does that make sense? Yeah, I kind of see what you mean. Because Ysail's death is so strangely, like, sudden. And I think they were just like, I want a big moment here. I want a big character death. Who can I do? It's like, I, I think they were... I don't know what, like, spurred it on. There are obviously some parallels to Shiva herself with the, with the sacrifice to integrate conflict, right? But the thing about that is that it doesn't really end, her her death doesn't really affect too much. I guess it does, like, bring Hreisfelger out of his out of his mountain, and it does kind of mean something to the dragons. But I think the more of it is that, like, I, I have always been of the opinion that one of the big reasons they killed her off is because they were afraid of having someone who could turn into a primal be an ally. No, exactly. They write themselves into a corner. Because, like, you run into the situation where Shiva is, if she, if Ysail has crystals, she can turn into Shiva whenever she wants. Like, she does this when you go and fight the big bug man. Um, like, she can just do this. And they, they wrote themselves into a little bit of a corner. Like, when you have somebody who's that strong on the good guy's team, and additionally, if you have a character who knows a lot about how primal summoning works then you put yourself in a really bad position in terms of the narrative they're trying to weave here like there's certain things that they need to keep secret for longer than would be feasible if you lived and there are things that need to have certain stakes that would also not be feasible if you lived i don't know I never like, you know, you can always, you can always ask what if, right? You can always, you can always ask, or you can always look back and it's like, what if, what if I did it? What if this changed? What if I did this? And it's like, it's not entirely useful to do that. But I, I, the one thing that I allow myself to do that about in, in Final Fantasy fourteen is basically just like, what if you say I did live? What if you did become a scion? Things would certainly be very different. That's for sure. It'd be very different. It's all, it's all speculation. It's all what ifs. But the point is, I think that. The decision was hasty, and I think it shows. Um, and you know, Heaven's Word is 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 a sort of period of growing pains, and we're we're kind of getting into that into that where it's like we're still trying to write ourselves out of corners. We're still kind of going through the motions of of feeling like, well, a big a big beat should be right here, so we're gonna kill a character. And I don't know, but I do, I do love Ysail and I look forward to re-experiencing her, her arc across Heaven's Word. Me too, me too. But, uh, but that'll have to be for next time. So 
that's that's gonna be in two weeks. We'll we'll hit the uh, the oh boy, you think this episode's long? It's two point five and two point five five. Oh Jesus Christ! Oh, one more thing. Ilbert's so fucking funny. He's I didn't remember that line. Are you kidding me, bro? Oh, I would rather you cut off my that. own arm. You can't have him say that. <laughs> it's you so can't. fucking funny. I'd rather cut off my own arm than betray my friend or perhaps cut off my friend's arm. Yeah, if I could turn to the camera and wink like, ugh, so fucking funny. Uh, but yes, it's going to do it for us this time. Uh, come back uh, next week for some talk about Gravity Falls. And in two weeks, we get to play several cutscenes in sequence. But for now, I've been one of your hosts, Jane. I've been your other host, Nero. And we'll see you out there in the wild fields of Eorzea adventurers.